APU. American Public University is proud to present Leading Forward. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm your host, Marie Gold Harper. Today, we are going to talk about redesigning higher education, upskilling, and positive psychology. My guest is Elena Agar. I want to take a moment to provide some information about her so you can get a feel for what we're going to talk about today. Elena is an engaging, skilled trainer and talent development specialist. Credited with combining operations, education, and international expertise to design and deliver programs for diverse audiences. She is known for her ability to drive change within individuals and organizations that are looking to reach their potential and maintain their competitive edge in the business world. She started her career in higher education, having worked across various institutions, departments, and regions. In her recent years, she dove into business and founded an education platform that prepares youth for the future, Bloom Youth, and co-founded Bercern, an organization that focuses on tech solution for productivity and well-being in organizations. Elena has a strong passion for learning and development, promoting creative and engaging workplaces, and all about optimizing performance through the development of others with a keen interest in neuroscience. As a career and talent development coach, Elena has over 12 years of experience working with individuals across different generations, supporting them in achieving their professional and personal goals. She also recently wrote a guidebook on how to shift yourself and others towards a path to success. Finally, she is a regular contributor to Forbes Middle East and various publications and online platforms in the Middle East region. When she is not leading talent transformation, she volunteers her time to help young students with their career development goals. Elena, Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Looking forward. Elena, you have a very diverse background, and we can take this interview in a number of ways. I want to start off with your thoughts on higher education. What are your thoughts on how we can drive change in higher education, given the current mood about the industry? Great question. And it's interesting because it took a pandemic for us to really start taking action towards change when it comes to higher education. And coming from higher education background and having worked in just different areas of the industry, what I can tell you is that we have amazing people on board, right, in education that want to make a difference, yet the system itself can be a little bit slow to change. So when it comes to higher education, there's various things that we can uh, really look into. And I'm not going to speak so much on the academia aspect. That's not my background. But what is my background is career preparedness for students. And this is where I I feel there's going to be the major shift for institutions. And what I mean by that is that typically right now, um, if we look at career development in higher ed, 
there's one counselor per, per three to 400 students, right? And so this one counselor, career counselor, is supposed to provide this amazing career support, and it's just not feasible. So when it comes to, you know, transforming higher ed, I think one of the focus areas should be that student affairs slash career development piece, right? How can we make career development and really making sure that students are prepared for the future accessible and affordable for all? Not only those students that are knocking on our, our office doors to ask for that career advice. What about the rest? How do we implement a strategy and how do we help students post-graduation essentially closing that gap between corporates and higher ed? And a final point I'll make here, it's not only on the higher ed institutions and administrators, right? There's three responsible parties. One is the student uh, themselves, right? The second is the higher education institutions and the people running these entities. And the third, of course, is the corporates. And the funny part is that the three are not talking very much. This is this is one of the biggest challenge. So in a nutshell, I would say we need to have a more future focused approach and we need to make career development accessible for all, not only a few that actually knock on our doors. That's very interesting. You have highlighted a conversation that I had earlier this afternoon with a group of colleagues as well as outside vendors. And I think everyone's speaking the, the same language. How do we bring these entities together to talk about what is best for students and uh, with the businesses um, stating that they need during this first phase or the short term of developing the new norm, they need employees who can be up and running. And I think that ties into your background. And the, the second question that I have for you is how do you tie neuroscience into your learning and development activities by getting individuals as well as organizations see the path of moving from point A to point B. Uh, so before we started the journey with Bessern and Bloom Youth, what I used to do is uh, corporate training and corporate learning, essentially, and also work with universities. And what I've noticed, and between my co-founder and I, who also comes from a very commercial corporate background, and what we've noticed is that this whole idea that we learn by listening or just listening to somebody, whether in a lecture or in a training session, right, like corporate, the traditional trainings right now, the traditional workshops is maybe half a day or a day, they run a couple of days, people get together in a room, 20 people talking about soft skills development or leadership development development, let's say, and then they walk away and the chances are nothing gets registered. That's the reality of the training world today. And there's that's why it's very difficult to measure it. There's no ROI because we're simply not doing it the right way. So then we start asking ourselves, you know, how do people learn better in a world where we're continuously disrupted, right? So there's a lot of distraction coming our way daily from our phones and now working from home, right? You have family, you know, um, perhaps whoever you're sharing a home with. So there's a lot of distractions coming at us that then also prevent us from learning. So what we started looking at is how can we identify some processes? This is where behavior change, positive psychology, and neuroscience play a part. So based on a lot of our research about habit creation, creation of routines, we found that, in fact, our brain doesn't learn when it has mass input. What that means, basically, is that we're not going to retain information. We need to continuously change up the way we learn, right? So if you're sitting in a classroom or a corporate office for hours at a time trying to learn a particular topic, particularly if we're talking about career development and soft skills, it simply doesn't doesn't register with our minds. Again, because we have we, we have so many distractions and so many challenges that we might be dealing with. So mental health is another part of it, which I'll mention. 
So we said, how can we create these processes? And what we learned is that by creating micro learnings and micro actions that people can do, this is how we learn. This is how learning sticks. So what that means is that instead of going and kind of giving that theory-based lecture approach to whatever we're doing, right, the traditional trainings follow, we say, how can we help people learn? How can we help people develop practices, routines and habits, and essentially processes for them to learn at the way they learn? best. So we're not there to necessarily teach them. We're there to give them the tools and the information to help them create processes that work for them. And on top of that, uh, and actually something I heard, I think earlier today, it's if you're not applying the knowledge, you're not really learning. And that's the case in most training sessions and university work, right? We go in, we, we, we listen, right? But then we're not applying it. So what we've done with our, uh, with our work with corporates and institutions is we've created micro learnings in a way that people learn micro information about a particular topic, and then they go and apply and implement it right away. That is how learning sticks. Otherwise, it's just simply not effective. I, I like how you've introduced the micro learning. And is it safe to say that you believe that it's best to customize the learning process to each individual and let them create what's best for them? I'm thinking about preferred learning styles. So how do you address that and how do you customize the programs? Sure. So uh, you're absolutely correct. Um, the future of learning overall, right, is, is individualized. It's personalized. And the beautiful part is that technology makes it affordable and accessible for all. And it, it, it allows us to customize the learning for an individual. For example, a better way to run a, a training program, right, is to create learning journeys for individuals based on the level that they're at. An example, a corporate training, for example, again, or even in university, they put people in the room of 20 to 30 people, let's say mid-level managers, and they give them a training on emotional intelligence. Everybody in that room is going to be at a different level of that emotional intelligence. It's not feasible that everybody is going to walk away after a day training and they're going to all of a sudden have more information about emotional intelligence because they all learn at a different level. A better approach would be to create learning journeys for them using tech. In our case, what we do is we have an app that we use. So we create learning journeys for individuals. And before they join on the journey, they take an assessment, an assessment that identifies identifies them exactly where they are in the process of learning on uh, about emotional intelligence, right? And then based on that, they're prompted what we call vitamins. So we call them vitamins, vitamins for the mind, basically. They're prompted to take these vitamins daily, where they're a combination of micro learnings, short readings, video interactions, as well as access to different information and access to a coach, which is a really important aspect. Although the learning is individualized, at the end of the day, it cannot be just a traditional e-learning, right? The LMS, the learning management systems where, you know, it's the, the Udemy's and the Coursera's of this world, which are beautiful for some aspects, but what it's missing is that human support. And when we're talking about individualized learning, we're not only talking about the, the micro learnings that they learn on their own, but we also talk about how can they get support of a human being when they get stuck on a particular topic, again, whether it relates to soft skills or, or career development or, or, or hard skills. So this is very important is to have that support. That is what a lot of e-learning solutions are missing is that live support. I'm happy to hear you add that part in because I've always felt that there's been something missing, um, especially on the academic side. And I think it is that individualized human touch to assist people or individual learners when they get stuck. Because some of the complaints I've heard have been, 
especially from corporate learners, is that their organizations will get a package, quote unquote, but they neglect to tell them what they are supposed to do when they get stuck. So they continue to be in the loop. With that said, what are your thoughts on everything that you've said, especially as it relates to microlearning? How can higher ed blend, integrate, or continue to collaborate with this type of model? Because I think it's very different for them. So what are your thoughts and suggestions on how we can get on that bandwagon? And uh, one point also before I go into that, that you mentioned about that individual support. The thing is that in the world of academia or corporate or training, learning, there's so much content out there, Marie. There's so much content. There's a lot of free content, right? So if a person really wanted to learn, do you need to go to an institution? Do you need to go to to a particular training? There's a lot of content for free. And now some of the biggest institutions, right, are putting out a lot of free courses. But what's missing again is that interaction and that individualist approach. And like you said, you can give somebody, like, here's a here's how to do this, but people will get stuck, right? So we don't know what we don't know. This is why that human interaction, uh, whether it's coaching or mentoring, really is important. When it comes to higher ed, what we also need to really address, and and I know we've been talking about this for years and we all understand the, the challenges. And now finally, there are more and more organizations that are coming up with solutions. But for example, when it comes to individualized learning, I am still mind bottled that business administration is still one of the most popular majors out there when it in fact does not prepare us for business or admin or the future of work. (laughs) Yet it's still one of the most popular, right? And at the same time, by the time a student enrolls in a particular institution, by the time they graduate, that particular field may or may not be even relevant to their work. So when it comes to individualized learning, what institutions really need to start looking into is how can they create those micro learnings for the student instead of offering a particular degree of study with set curricula that they need to take, right? Yes, of course, they can take electives but and all these things, but how can a student create building blocks of their own major, essentially? You're a student, you go into an institution that provides very future-focused, relevant content information, and you're just building on the building blocks, right? Because right now, a lot of the higher education institutions offer very similar degrees across uh, different uh, areas, and many of them are not future-focused. So let's say cybersecurity, for example. Let's just talk about digital skills, cybersecurity, right? Biotech, uh, uh, space um, industries, right? There's not many majors that are very focused on these topics. So when you're thinking of you know educating the future youth, are we really preparing them for the future? And if we're not, how can we redesign our curricula to fit their particular needs? And how can we create short learning journeys versus making them go through four-year degrees or five-year degrees, right? I'm not saying to get rid of those completely, but we need to start offering more alternative options of letting students create their own journeys based on where they want to be and based on the future of work requirements. Because right now, majority of higher ed does not unfortunately do that. But we have gotten better in terms of offering uh, short executive courses, shorter hands-on kind of technical courses, which are all relevant, like trade school type courses, right? And an important part as well here is to identify that not everybody is meant to a four-year or a master or a further study. Some people are better with trade schools, short-term degrees that are going to give them the tools. 
And the final point I'm going to make here is that higher education is not going away anytime soon. Absolutely. It's needed. It's always going to be needed, but they're going to have a much higher competition because now there are institutions that are coming out with these micro learning blocks of knowledge that students can basically take on their own units that they take on their own and create their own sort of uh, curricular. And then also there's uh, companies like Google who have Google Academy who came out and said, listen, you don't need a four-year degree. Come to our six-month bootcamp and learn how to do what we need you to do for to make sure that you get the job in the future and you're good to go. And if you're talking about the future generations, if I'm a young person coming in and I just want to maybe work for Google or the likes, I don't really want to go somewhere else. Am I going to choose a six-month program that's going to probably guarantee me a job or give me the skills I need? Or am I going to go spend four years in an institution? This is the question. Um, and this is, this is the challenges that higher education is going to have to deal with. Another final point is that, especially with everything that has happened with COVID and just the change of the way we work, there's a lot of talk about the questioning of the value of higher education, right? And again, I don't think we need to completely get rid of absolutely not. I think education is there and it's there for a reason. But what I'm saying is that the career development aspect needs to be much more stronger because, again, now universities are going to compete against other providers that will actually almost guarantee jobs versus higher education institutions that are not closing that gap between university study and corporates. Well, I liked the direction you were going and you actually challenged me because some of the questions that you posed are a lot of um, the concerns that I have had from the corporate sector. And I can't say that those types of questions just started with the pandemic. It's basically been the questions that I received over probably the last 20 years since I've been on the higher ed side. And I think you have posed some legitimate concerns and I see that. And I would like to think that we are addressing it from that standpoint And I think the pandemic has forced some institutions that have fought the shift that they really have to deal with it. I like the fact that you mentioned competition outside of higher education, because I think that's a real threat too. What I'm seeing is a lot of technology companies, and we know technology can move fast, especially if you have the expertise in that area. But I do agree that This is an opportunity for higher ed to rethink the strategy, our purpose. And if it's educating individuals, and as you've mentioned, customize the process. I'm happy to report that some of the things that you mentioned, we are exploring those areas in an effort to rebrand who we are. For example, um, one of my future shows, I I hope to have Dr. Callie Morrison on, and she has been charged to develop some of those micro-credentials that you mentioned. We're calling some of them nano-certs. But we recognize that in order to assist any type of organization, it doesn't have to be corporate, and especially in what they're calling the interim economy which is the short term, as far as how I define it, that we have to prepare students to be able to function in the next couple of years as we transition. And I agree with you. It is what skills do they need now? How can we best upskill them to do the functions that we need them to do now? It is time for a break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
At American Public University, we believe that higher education can unlock higher purpose. So we offer 200 modern programs for those who want to make a difference. And we believe education must adapt to students' needs. That's why we've made it accessible through online classes and flexible with monthly program starts. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. Welcome back. I am speaking today with Elena Agar, and we are discussing the topic of what's in the future of higher education as it relates to upskilling our employees. When we think of the traditional degrees, as we get our economy jumpstart again, we can think of long-term plans. And I like how you brought up individual customization. I think we've missed that. We, we do ask our students what would they like to major in, but we're assuming they know what they want to do. And I think it should be a collaboration between the student, the organization, and higher ed, and that we create those type of um, situations and maybe even start backwards. Like, what do we want the end result to be as we know it? Almost like a strategic plan. You come up with something that may span over five years, but you build in milestone points where you check to make sure that what you're doing, the plan you develop still makes sense. And if it doesn't, how are you going to readjust it? Would you agree with that? train of thought? You were spot on about uh, the fact that students often don't necessarily, it's not that they don't know what they want to do. It's more, they don't, they don't see all the different opportunities where they can apply what they know and what they like to uh, apply this in their future jobs. A lot of the graduates I speak with, they tend to go for the big names, the big companies, right? Because that's what's known, right? That's where the money is at, supposedly. But they don't always understand the kind of stressors that come to working with a consultancy, for example, right? The 12-hour days. And so this is where that conversation needs to take place, on one-on-one conversation. And because students, they might have some ideas, but the market is so global, it's so diversified. And now with everything you know, being fully remote, although we've been there for some time, but now there's so many opportunities to find a job that you like, to monetize, um, to diversify your income as well. To The gig economy has been growing and it's probably going to grow even more as a result of COVID, right? As corporates are looking to cut costs, maybe it's more cost efficient to hire freelancers, et cetera. So looking at what are the different things you can do just expanding their search criteria when it comes to work and also providing them with ability to be resourceful, Marie? Like, that's the biggest thing is like we teach from the moment the student is young, like, so from the moment we're kids and as we go through high school and like the K through 12 and we go into universities, everybody's telling us what we need to do. And then we graduate and we're supposedly we have all the tools that we need to be successful, but we don't because what we've been learning is how to follow direction. We need to be enabled. We need to teach them how to be proactive about their career, how to take ownership, how to do what needs to be done. What I like to use with students that I work with is the startup methodology. So when you're building a startup, you're building a company, right? If one door doesn't open, you're going to try a hundred other doors until somebody, somebody opens a door. So when we talk about our own career development, our education, we need to be resourceful and proactive and looking at it as 
as us as a startup, I'm a product. I need to launch myself into the job market. What do I need to know about myself to present myself in a specific way, right? A basic self-awareness, emotional intelligence aspect. What is my value proposition, my communication skills? What is my personal brand? And then understanding where can I apply my skill set? And this is one of the things that also students miss is they don't take advantage, many, many, of course, many do, but many I speak with don't take advantage of being able to intern, being able to jump from job to job just to experiment when they're younger. And that is because Again, we teach them how to kind of, you know, it's like you finish your degree and then you need to get a job, but does it have to be this way? Can you go through different experiments, even starting as early as high school, before you even choose your major? How can you choose a major when you never even worked in the field? So that's a different conversation, of course, but that's one way we work with high school students as well as how do they choose a major? For university students, if you're not studying and working at the same time, you're already behind, period. You're already behind. The world is very competitive and it's going to become even more competitive. So, so and this is where that individualized, but again, tech makes it accessible and affordable. There's many solutions, applications, learning journeys that, you know, institutions can get access to, right? And create internally even to get them to be more proactive and take ownership at the end of the day. And that's to take accountability versus expecting that the minute you graduate from university, the job market is going to, the job market is going to want you. It's not the reality. And so I think that we need to have a little bit more of, I guess, reality checks for, for some of the things that we're doing, because again, if we're asking the question, are we preparing the generations for the future of work? And if we're not, what is it costing us? What is it costing us by not offering what we should be offering to stay future focused and relevant? And it's costing us a lot now and it will cost us even more in the future if we want to go into financials of it. <laughs> One of the things you talked about was the diversification of skill set. I love hearing other people think like that because that's how I think. I actually give the example to my students. I was like, you have to think of your skill set the same way you would of your retirement portfolio, just as you would diversify the different types of stocks and bonds that you would have in your portfolio. That's how you have to think about your skill set. One of the things that frustrate me, especially in the United States, we will talk about your experience in the Middle East shortly, but how do we make that shift from being a culture that focuses on one particular job and get everyone to explore working on developing the skill set? For example, a lot of times when higher ed advertises their programs, they may say, this is the path you should take to become an engineer. Why are we focusing on the engineer? Why can't we focus on skill sets? So I've seen many corporations get into a position where they have hired for a specific job, but when something such as the pandemic comes up, you have employees who do not know how to shift to what is needed for the organization. Therefore, I think that's why some of the businesses are struggling is because they've geared people so narrow to one particular area that when something that they did not expect comes up, they didn't know how to shift. What are your thoughts on that type of concept or what could we do to even work from a cultural standpoint of getting people to think in diversity of skill set 
and way of doing business. Well, I think at one point we're not going to have a choice because what's going to happen and what what I see happen a lot in the in the world of recruitment even is that now young talent, especially good talent, has so many options that if you as an institution or a corporate, if you're an HR or a recruiter who looks at a person based on or you're looking for something very specific versus looking to recognize talent recognize potential, right? Recognize the soft skills. If you're just looking at very specific things, you're going to miss out on amazing talent. That's number one. As institutions, again, with so many options, you're going to lose on students and you're going to lose on retention. So there's two things to address here. One from institution perspective of how do you manage that and one from individual. Let's start with individual. As an individual, what we need to focus on is being curious, being curious. And again, I always pause a question, you know, whoever is listening, when was the last time you looked at what does your industry look like? What is your job role going to look like a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? What are you reading when it comes to AI, machine learning, virtual reality? How is it, How is technology going to affect your field? Looking at future of work reports, have you looked at them, right? Looking at the competition, right? What is your competition doing? How are you proactive in your career development? That is the question. And what are potential threats? Of course, we cannot predict many threats, but it's like, you know, looking at what are potential threats? For example, with technology, we know that a lot of customer service-based roles are already automated. They will become even more automated. A lot of jobs within that space is going to be is going to be gone. That's the reality. I think there's like three three point five million. Don't quote me on this. I don't remember specifics, but I guess over three million truck drivers that are in the U.S. currently. In the next five to seven years, if not before that, all of those um, are going to be machines driving. So, and as a company, are you going to hire a human being who is is who needs to rest, who's prone to mistakes and accident, or are you going to hire a machine that is going to drive nonstop for 24 hours and do what you need them to do? Of course, you're going to find uh, you're going to do that. So being curious as an individual, we need to be curious. That's called being proactive. And again, taking accountability. There's a lot of things we cannot control, a lot of things we can. That's on the individual side. On the institutional side, of course, change takes, takes time, and that's understandable. And institutions are designed for better or for worse in a way depending on which one, of course, but in a way that changes a little bit slower, there's a lot of bureaucratic things that go into it. We need to learn how to be more agile. We need to learn how to quickly adjust to what's happening because uh, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to be run out from competition. So that's the reality. So what we need to look at is there's a couple of options. If if an institution is going to be offering those traditional four-year degrees, et cetera, and again, some some institutions do this, but if you're not already doing it, tying it in with some kind of apprenticeships, tying it in with experience that is absolutely a part of the curriculum. In many cases, it's not part of the curriculum. Let's say an engineering student, maybe they're working on particular projects throughout, maybe they're, have, they're required to take an internship, but it needs to be embedded. Like every class that a student takes needs to be embedded with a company, right, who can then give them that, ex- they go, so they study in the morning, they go in the evening, for example, or afternoons or whatever works, and they actually uh, work in a company. Like back in the day, that's what we used to have, right? I think in the 60s, we used to have apprenticeships, we used to have hands-on learning. So that's what needs to be embedded because there's nothing wrong with an engineering degree. What a higher education does give you is that broader view of different things that you can do. But Again, if you're if you're learning and not applying, then what are you doing? That's the question. With those programs, the experience piece needs to be absolutely embedded in the curriculum, not once a year internship, every single semester. 
every week the student needs to go and apply what they're learning. And I bet you there's a lot of companies who'd be more than happy to host students because that's their talent pipeline. And companies struggle with that. That's their talent pipeline. And there are various, of course, programs that do do that. But many, many institutions do not. And and the, the point of this, to bring it to diversity, and the final point about diversity is that when you're diversifying your skill set, even if you are an engineer, when you go and you do different things, you start to learn about different ways that the business operates in that particular industry. What other things can you pick up? What other things do you like, right? So an engineer thinks in a very structured and a very specific way versus an HR person. There's a lot of skills that they can apply, not necessarily in engineering fields, but in other fields as well. But they will not know unless they get that experience. And again, for the future, when you to look at diversifying. And the way you do that is to not only focus on one area of expertise, of course, unless you're maybe a doctor or a NASA scientist or something that's different, but I'm talking for the for the majority of the job market out there, there is a way to diversify and to not only diversify your skill set, but also diver- diversify your income at the end. Again, that comes with practice. It does not come from just pure classroom. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. I'm glad you shared those points because your statements actually confirm the presentation that I heard earlier by an organization that is doing just what you described. You've made me a believer in a day because you confirmed something I heard earlier in the fact that in addition to having these internships, simulations, I'm still hearing from companies that those type of efforts still aren't really working for what they need an employee to be able to do when they come to their organizations. But if we spent the time embedding these opportunities and collaborating with organizations who can share with us what they actually need their future potential employees to do, that that would be a win-win situation for everyone who is a part of the equation. And I think that will be a a mind shift. I'm the dean of a school that you mentioned earlier, the School of Business, one that is highly sought after, but every school has a business school. And what makes us different? And you are sharing some ideas that I'm assuming, and it sounds like that you have experienced that and you've done enough research in those areas and you see what is working. And it brings me to my last point. I'm thinking about what is occurring in the United States. You do a lot of work in the Middle East region. Do you see any differences in the trends that are emerging in this type of work relationship with higher ed, the business community, as well as the student? Or do you see the same challenges? I've done some kind of business, whether within higher education or education space in 13 different countries, at least at this stage. And Every career development person at an institution, the career services person that I meet, uh, many of the higher education folks that I meet in my work, it is the same challenges. It is the same challenges. So although in, in the Middle East and some of the institutions, it's the same challenges, but they're maybe a little bit quicker to adjust because they're a little bit new. 
So because they're new, they haven't had the years and years of history of doing things a certain way. There's not that bureaucratic process. So in, in, in the US, of course, I'm sure there's the same case in many institutions. I just cannot speak on those experiences. But in the Middle East, I see the turnaround with implementing and trying and having that agile methodology embedded in an institution is much more uh, noticeable, at least in my experience. In the US, there are institutions that are doing amazing things that are very future focused. But if we're looking at traditional kind of institutions that are out there, still far behind. Um, and the thing is that one of the biggest challenges when, when I talk to institutions about this and the leaders of education is that they always bring up the idea of human resource and budgets, right? Like we don't have the human resources to do this and we don't have the capital to invest in this, et cetera. But again, with access to technology, with access to understanding how can we create these learnings and, and coaching and make it accessible and affordable for all, there are so many solutions out there. It's just about, again, being curious as a, as a leader of an institution, really taking proactive approach to saying, how can we transform what we're doing? How can we enhance our student experience? How can we make sure we maintain our competitive edge? To be honest, it will show up sooner or later because we will see a huge transformation in the next five to 10 years. It's already happening. I think it's going to accelerate. And institutions that are going to survive are those that are going to get agile and learn how to maintain their competitive edge. Otherwise, we're going to see a lot of colleges and universities die down in the near future. Yes, I agree with that. I've had opportunities to share some of the thoughts that you have just expressed. That is the concern that we have. The higher education industry is in flux, and we have the opportunity to look at some of the things that you have mentioned today and make a decision, a conscious decision. Are we going to shift or are we going to stay the same? And I feel sad about the fact that there may be some individuals that will dig in to the status quo and continue on trying to just tweak what they're currently doing. But based on some of the information that you have shared, you're coming from a trainer perspective. I've talked to some executives in corporations and they're willing to try what's next. And they have accepted that it's not going to be business as usual. So I am hoping I'm, I'm trying to be encouraged that many of my competitors or counterparts will see the light and make the shift. And I agree when you say that the situation is really deep in the United States, whereas other regions such as where you are currently in the Middle East, that they have it, but it's kind of new. So it's easier to address because people, they don't have a philosophy ingrained in their head and also by it being new and then with the pandemic, you know that something has to be done and it has to be done quickly. And you have embraced technology as being a feasible solution to correcting the problem. Well, Elena, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your expertise. In closing, do you have any final remarks that you would like to share with the audience? Just that change is inevitable, so we might as well get used to it. <laughs> and yeah, this is this is what's gonna keep us going. And and it's again, there's so many simple solutions and small steps that every institution and individual can take towards a more future focused and ready for the future. Essentially, it's a decision, as you said. We need to make a decision. That's it. Once you do that, the rest is easy. 
I like how you said change is coming <laughs> because I think this pandemic was the game changer. I know people who were against working from home. I know individuals who did not respect online learning, but they had to shift to it. That It was almost like sometimes we have people in industries that their back has to be forced against the wall before they're willing to open their eyes and try something different. It shouldn't have to be that way. We should be open to change. I, I think change management there's going to be a lot of emphasis on that as well for the employee as well as the organizations. Shifts in responsibilities, even though my strength, one of my strength areas is in the field of management, we have to rethink the role of management. We don't need dictators anymore. We don't need the police to be in the work environment. We need individuals who can coach, who can empower their employees to get the job done. One of the things that I've always found helpful is to stay connected to the people who work the front lines because they know exactly what's happening. We have organizations who focus on that the leaders are supposed to know all the answers. They don't. And we shouldn't put them in the position that they should have to have all the answers. It should be acceptable to reach down to get diversity of thought. I was talking about diversity of skill set, but diversity of thought is important as well. And people come from, they provide perspectives that tie into their experiences. And with that type of thought process, we should be able to see that everyone has something to offer whether or not we've been exposed to it or whether or not we agree with what they're saying. Obviously, there is an audience that believes what they believe. And therefore, I think we should take it into consideration. Well, finally, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us. We have been speaking with Elena Agar. This is Marie Gould Harper thanking you for listening to our podcast today. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.